welcome back to Talk LD, and here we are for episode two of series two. And I'm very excited that we have Tim Etherington Judge on this, this episode. This episode is really what focused on well-being and sustainability um, and how why it's important to business at this time. But we do touch on some challenging and difficult topics around mental health and, and suicide. And I just wanted before the episode started to say if you're struggling with any of these issues please reach out to somebody and don't suffer in silence i will put some links on the podcast page um, where you can get support if you need it um, but please don't suffer in silence um, and i know this is a difficult time as we are in lockdown but please reach out and know that there are people out there that want to help and can help um, again this podcast has been recorded during lockdown so please be patient with the sound quality as we're all at home recording on zoom i hope you enjoy this episode i hope you find it helpful it was a really fun episode to to record and if you do enjoy our podcast as ever please rate and review us and share us on social media as it helps other people find us happy listening thank you Welcome back to Talk L&D. We've got Alex back with us. How are you this morning, Alex? Extremely well. Thank you very much. Extremely well. Very mm. good to hear. And yeah. today we also have um, a new guest with us, which I'm excited to have. We have Tim Etherington Judge. Yes. Good morning. Good morning, Tim. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm, I'm bright and breezy, just like the weather outside. The sun has just come out. It's really windy. Um, but yeah, really good. Good. good, good, good. So we brought Tim on today because Tim, um, he's an entrepreneur and the founder of Healthy Hospo, which is a not-for-profit company working to build a healthy, healthier, happier hospitality industry by supporting and improving the physical, mental and emotional well-being of hospitality professionals around the world. And, and I've actually worked with Tim um, where I work um, to help our teams with their mental health. Um, and he's also the founder of a great business called Avalan, which is a Calvados with a difference as it's designed with sustainability at its heart, looking after the bees, the all important bees. And he's also a fellow ultra runner like me and Alex. So we had to have him um, on the podcast. Um, but we we're particularly interested, obviously, in this time in our last podcast, we were talking about the importance of well-being um, in the workplace um, and also sustainability um, post-COVID. So we thought Tim would be a great person to talk to today. So thank you for joining us, Tim. Um, I hope I've got that intro, got everything in. I know he's just he's just starting another business as well, which he just told me about <laughs> this morning. Uh, but I'll put all the links on our podcast page. So Tim, shall we start with um, a little bit more about how your journey to becoming an entrepreneur started? How did you end up with two great businesses which are doing good things in the world? Thank you, thank you. Um, I guess it was always something that I wanted to do, but I still think I'm an accidental um, business owner. Uh, so I, I've always worked in hospitality my whole life. Growing up in Cornwall, uh, as, a young, as a young person, you, all of the job opportunities are in hospitality. You know, so I started at the age of 14 working in a coffee shop and then 16, I was flipping burgers at Wimpy, and saved up all Wimpy. my money over the <laughs> to, to buy my first mountain bike. Aww. Happy days. And then, so I've always been in hospitality and eventually found myself working for Diageo, who are the world's biggest um, spirits company. So brands like Johnny Walker and Bailey's and Guinness. And, and had one of these jobs that whenever you told people what you do, they were like, how did you get that job? I didn't even know those jobs existed. So it was called a global brand ambassador. And I would travel the world teaching people how to drink whiskey. Yeah. I mean, sounds like the dream job, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, just fly around the world, stay in five-star hotels, drink whiskey. Um, and on the outside, it sounds like a really like, amazing job. And there were lots of great parts to it. Um, it took me to 63 countries around the world. Um, you know, I got to ex some amazing experiences that I never thought I would have. But at the same time, you, I was doing over 100 flights a year, traveling for 200 to 250 days of the year. Um, so yeah, kind of constantly yeah. jet lagged, sleep was, was just so broken. Um, nutrition just went through the, through the floor because you're always drinking or eating in restaurants. Um, always eating in restaurants um, or room service, uh, no exercise because I mean, I would take my running shoes with me, but I was always so tired and exhausted yeah, yeah. that it, it 
rarely ever happens. And then the loneliness from kind of constantly being away from home. And you you have to make always making micro friendships. So you turn up in a new country, they don't want tired, grumpy Tim. Oh, really happy to see you. They want like <laughs> jazz hands Tim. Yeah, jazz hands Tim. Um, so you've always got to be on your game, and it's quite like emotionally draining to constantly try and make these new friendships. Yeah. And yeah. we always it was like putting like being a clown and having to put on that mask every every day. Yeah. And eventually, after six years of doing this um and some other things that were going on in the background so like my work team was broken up and there was a change of management um which was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back in, in a way because i'd lost that support network mm-hmm. of, um, within the company and then there were some personal things going on at the same time as well so all of this kind of built up and, and in november 2016 um, in a hotel room in athens i tried to take my own life with a bottle of whiskey and some extremely strong painkillers and that was a kind of real as you can imagine like a a big moment for me Mm -hmm. and coming out of that that uh, experience and I started to talk publicly about my my lifelong struggle with depression I was first diagnosed at the age of 16 this had been a constant battle in my life Um, so with that combined with the, the toxicity of the hospitality industry and, and these, these global ambassador roles. Um, and I guess I did it initially to try and get lots of positive response from people and to make me feel better and to help me through this, this crisis I was going through. Um, and I got loads and like hundreds and hundreds of messages of love and support from people. But what really turned my life around was the hundreds of messages I got from people would tell me their stories of struggle and their, their problems in the industry and their experiences and, and loss and and that just got me thinking that you know there are, if there are so many people struggling and, and having problems with the industry and the alcohol and the drugs mm. and, and the health talking about the 2016 you know, there was no one talking about health and wellness within hospitality back then apart from a couple of individuals who are working on brands and doing some very small projects and it just dawned on me that if I know that there's such a big problem in the industry and no one's doing anything about it, what kind of guy would I be if I just walk away? Mm-hmm. This is what my doctors and my therapists were saying. You know, you've got to get out of the industry and find a new career to stop this. But it's just in the back of my mind, I was like, but there's so many people who are struggling. I can't walk away from them. Um, so that was really the, the birth of Healthy Hospo as a company, yeah. I guess. Um, and what that did for me personally was give me the the freedom to to be me mm-hmm. when i was working for diageo i was caught up in this this luxury rock and roll lifestyle you know traveling the world staying in the fancy hotels and eating in expensive restaurants and buying nice clothes and and why I, I realized after that 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 wasn't me being yeah, true to myself yeah. So when I started Healthy Hospo, because it was based on a very personal experience, I was being very true to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that inspired Avalon. That thought of being true to myself inspired Avalon. Um, so I've been campaigning for environmental protection since I was a teenager. So chaining myself to petrol pumps and, and protesting against <laughs> SO and supporting Greenpeace and long before Extinction Rebellion was, was yeah. a thing. Um, so Avalon is kind of another bow of me being very true to myself and bringing that environmental passion um, and creating a business um, around that. Amazing. So it sounds like you took something that was actually really so traumatic and it was almost like that woke you up to, yeah. I can't live like this. And actually from that, as traumatic as it must have been, it sounds like it was actually almost the making of you for you to become into your true your true self and finding your true true calling essentially yeah yeah exactly exactly i think it's that and also one of the harder you know when it comes to starting a business quite often um, you start with asking the question of what is the problem that i'm trying to solve yeah this business um mm-hmm. and with healthy hospital the problem was was front and center it was like mm-hmm. just, you know, an enormous thing right in front of me so i didn't have to look for the problem that i was trying to solve with the mm-hmm. business 
yeah so it was a, an easy i think it was an easy way to, to start the business and it's been extremely well received since we launched so i was going to say tim when you launched the business did other people in the industry did uh, did you have um a, a strong sense of agreement that everybody you know that everybody saw that this that there was this problem and people were sort of motivated to want to take action um, yeah, around yeah. that problem yeah absolutely um mm. i think we got right from the start we got an enormous amount of support from people within the trade um, mm-hmm. asking you know saying that this has been a long time coming so many comments of like i wish this existed 10 years ago when i was mm-hmm. young in the industry mm-hmm. so we've always had that support um, and it's not just in the uk it's global mm-hmm. that's that's been really a really good thing and it it's difficult running a not-for-profit um, looking mm. at health and wellness because it's it's something that people still see as a nice to do or yes, something yeah. that should be charity they don't see it yet in hospitality as an essential part of a profitable business something that they need to invest in yeah mm. yeah um you know with hospitality your your biggest asset is your staff the mm. thing you spend most money on and you stress over the most whenever I talk to the business owners, their biggest problems always revolve around their staff. Mm. But it's the reason that people come to their businesses. You know, no one went to a restaurant because the restaurant had really nice chairs. Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> or they had mm. the, 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 the most well-written menu. You know, you go to a restaurant or a bar or a hotel because of how they make you feel. Yeah. Yeah. The experience yeah. you have within there. And your staff are the key key asset when it comes to creating that customer experience so why would you not invest in the health and wellness of your staff because healthier happier staff are going to give better customer service Um, it was really brought home to me we were talking to to a head chef and it just clicked with him and he's like if my fridge breaks i'll instantly call out an engineer to come and fix the fridge but when my staff break i don't do anything at all Wow. It just kind of the penny dropped with him there and, and he just turned his whole business around and really started focusing on his stuff. That's amazing. And and you know that's such a great analogy, isn't it? You know, something if, if if a fridge breaks, if your grill goes, it's like all all hands on deck. We need to get this sorted now because we can't function. But actually, you know, and I I always use this quote when I deliver progressed experience training. My mate Angelou, I love it. It's people forget what you said, they forget what you did, but they never forget how you made them feel. And I always say, if we want our teams to deliver great service, we have to make sure that they feel good because how can they make guests feel good if they don't feel good? And it's when you stop and think about it, it's actually crazy that it's taken so long in such a people facing industry for people to stop and really think about this. Um, What do you think? What do you think the reasons are that it's taken so long? In hospitality for people to stop and um, begin to think about it it's a good question because if you if you look back at some of the old sayings that we have in the industry they they've looked to this like no one likes a grumpy waiter right yeah. always it, have a smile <laughs> yeah exactly it plays it plays to this um i think the industry has got caught up in in operations and if you look back to the 80s the industry collectively took a decision to go in a certain direction and that direction was based on uh, an extremely low paid workforce Mm. the hospitality is the lowest paid industrial sector in the world Mm. run by operators taking razor thin margins Mm. Mm. so if you're making five percent margin in hospitality you're doing well and an extremely cheap food offering. So the public have got used to going out for food being unbelievably cheap. Yeah. Like, like way, way, way too cheap than it should be because mm-hmm. we've pushed the cost of labor down as low as it can go so everyone is vulnerable. We've pushed down the margins of the operators as low as they can go so everyone's vulnerable just so the public can go out and have cheap food, which then has a knock-on effect around, about the nation's health, the population's health, because we're not cooking at home so much mm. is one of the biggest indicators of quality of nutrition is how much how many how often do you cook at home from scratch mm-hmm. now people you know there are people in london who will never cook at home they'll order mm-hmm. take out mm-hmm. or go out to restaurants every single meal oh yes wow. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah. Don't I even think... have a don't even have a kitchen. Yeah, I've seen I, that. I, I've seen yeah. that. That's. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for the industry, it's it's also hard to do trainings in the industry because it's such an operations-focused business. Mm-hmm. You know, the restaurants and bars are open between here and here. And you have to try and fit training inside those times as well. So it's not like you, can, you can't cl- close the restaurant in the middle of service. And go, Sorry, we've just got to do a one-hour mm-hmm. health and wellness training. Mm-hmm. Just talk amongst yourselves, customers, you know, and like you can with a normal business, you can take people out and they can catch up later on or, it's not so critical mm-hmm. um so there is the difficulty of organizing trainings within hospital Lucy, you'll know about yeah. this yeah yeah you know, sometimes you have to ask people to come in on their days off which is not fair or come no. in pre-shift they'd have to come in extra yeah, yeah. so you're expecting mm-hmm. staff to to sacrifice their personal time to do training um which is one of the reasons why we've developed a new app with healthy hospital to try and kind of give people the training that they can do in their own time whenever they want um, break it down into kind of like tiny little little pieces they can always do a progression even if they've only got 10 minutes yeah mm-hmm. um, so but i think the industry is beginning to to change they're beginning to see what's going on in the corporate world um, you know the corporate world has embraced health and wellness training enormously um, and i'm hoping that that will, will kind of trickle down to hospitality yeah so i was going to say actually so from your experience how has hospitality industry taken to your trainings how have you found that whole process of bringing that into cultures and getting people to engage with what you're doing you know it's been a mixed bag you've got a lot of progressive um hospitality uh, groups and, and individual outlets who really see the value in it um so and it's like your company louisa and uh, some of the other companies that we work with but i would say the majority of them are still stuck in this old mindset of, of we call it churn and burn churn and burn mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know you just push your staff to the point you push them so hard to the point of burnout that they then burn out and then you just throw them out and get some more young kids in mm-hmm. it's the kind of the old marco pierre white gordon ramsay model of just abuse the shit out of everyone until until they break mm. and 95% of them will break and you toss them aside but you've got 5% that don't break and you keep them you know and you don't care about all of those people that you've psychologically impacted and affected just toss them out of your business um, and that's part of the reason you know if you talk well pre-covid because obviously we live in a very mm. strange environment but pre-covid I talk to any hospitality owner or manager and their single biggest struggle is getting staff yeah because it's this twin problem of the industry is not attracting staff you know because why why would you come and work in hospitality it's extremely low paid in fact the lowest paid industry it's extremely long hours outside of the regular social hours of nine to five um it's not very good for your health you've got this idea you've seen the chefs on tv you're going to get abused you're going to get shouted mm-hmm. at it's extremely high stress work environment it's not exactly a a recipe for an enticing industry to go and work into mm-hmm. so if you look at say like a tech industry it's like right you get big salary lots of benefits you can sit at your computer you know and you can it's an exciting industry a lot of people want to go into <laughs> hospitality not so much it seems that that people would go into that environment go and work in hospitality because they felt that they didn't have any other options i suppose yeah it's quite often that way so like in cornwall for example in the summer there's lots and lots and lots of hospitality jobs you're a teenager you need some money jobs jobs are plentiful but they're always very part-time um and because it is a, a low barrier to entry into hospitality you, know, you don't need to go and get a degree you don't mm-hmm. really need any specialist skills or that are trainable like having people skills is, is essential mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but no there's no kind of schools or colleges that are training that as such mm-hmm. so we see a lot of people kind of fall into hospitality i would say yeah i'd agree with that so you end up with a really kind of diverse mix of people in the industry which is fantastic Tim, here's a question. 
if you could bring about, based on your experience and the work that you're doing now, if you could bring about one key change, what would that be? Um, ooh, so many. What would be your top, not what would be the number one? If you could, if you were to kind of focus all of your energies and resources into, into making one change happen within this, you know, what sounds like yeah. a pretty hellish industry, to be honest with you, what would I that think one change? I, there would be two, two things. I'm going to do one okay. that's operational and one mm -hmm. that's more, mm -hmm. the operational one is all around the, the shift rotor. Mm -hmm. Louise will know this because yeah. we, we, we spent a whole afternoon talking about this. Um, mm -hmm. So the shift rotor is a, a vital tool for every hospitality business. So the staff know when they're coming to work, what shifts they're working. Yet, almost no outlet that I've ever worked with has looked at the rotor and seen it as such a vital tool in the health and wellness of their staff. They mm -hmm. just look at it and go, these are the names of my staff. These are the hours the restaurant's open. And I'm just going to fill in the gaps without thinking about the impact it has on staff's health, um, breaks in between shifts, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Mm. So teaching managers how to write rotors that work for the names of the people that they're putting on the rotors. And so ensuring that there's consistency across them, that people are getting the legal breaks between shifts. Um, that they're getting enough recovery time so it's not just work 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 without time to recover in between mm -hmm. so vital, which is why you see so many super tired hospitality workers yeah because there's not enough recovery time their shifts are split between a couple of mornings and then a couple of lates and then a close and then a morning rather than being all the same shift you can develop sleep patterns and, and regular habits people who work nine to five can mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is is a leadership program, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think we have some really poor leadership in the hospitality across the board. There are some great leaders in the, in the business, but I think a lot of the leaders have forgotten what hospitality means. Mm -hmm. um, and they're so focused on hospitality for their guests, they forget about giving hospitality to their staff. You know, and what I always yeah. say is that if you want it, if you want your staff to give great hospitality to the people that come into your venue, as a leader, you have to show great hospitality to your staff. Hundred percent. I right. I always right. call it like an energy exchange. It's like yeah. we can't, you can't expect your teams to go out there and deliver this great service if you're not giving that to them. It's like your head office essentially is there to look after your people and your teams so that they can go and look after guests. I just think it's a no brainer, right? How can Absolutely. you expect yeah. that? And, um, you know, and it's so interesting. I find it so, I find this time particularly interesting actually, because obviously hospitality is one of the, it's one of the industries that's been hit the worst with, with COVID, you know, it's been such a roller coaster and you probably know, I know, cause I work in the industry. And what I find interesting is Often hospitality jobs aren't valued as jobs, right? They're like, oh, you know, it's people fall into it. But yeah. yet, what do people miss most right now? One of the things people are missing most is going out to a bar, going out for restaurants. And at the core of, of, of restaurants, if you think about it, it's, it comes back to what we've always done. It's sitting together, eating, sharing food, which is what one of the oldest things that you as a human mm -hmm. beings have done. Breaking bread. Yeah, yeah. breaking bread together. Mm -hmm. So I find it really interesting that an industry that the jobs and the careers aren't that valued pre-COVID is now something that people miss the most. And obviously, you know, this industry, our industry has been hit so badly, probably one of the most badly hit by COVID, you know, and we are probably going to lose, we are losing restaurant companies that aren't, oh, aren't surviving. But then also, as I'm hearing you talk, and I know, you know, where I work, how we, we, we do do things a bit differently because our people are our most important asset and we, we believe in that and we value that. But it's almost like there is an opportunity here for hospitality to revolutionise, come back. It's that thing, isn't it? It's like what you said about yeah. the trauma you went through. You use that as a stepping stone to do something, you know, to step into your true calling and to do something amazing in the world. And actually, wouldn't it be amazing if hospitality used this time to come back even better so that when we did come back we came back and we looked after our teams because i think if covid's taught us anything is that our health and well-being is the most important thing going 
and wouldn't it be amazing if the hospitality industry as a whole was like right we are going to come back we're going to come back stronger but you know what we're going to do differently we're going to look prioritize our teams and i think also you know for the general public one of the things that i think also needs to happen um within that is the general public needs to have a little bit more respect and i say this to someone i cannot believe what teams have had particularly during covid when we have been open the use that general public think it's okay to speak you know we've got 18 19 year olds just trying to do the job they're trying to navigate a pandemic and people have come in at them and started kicking off at them about the laws and the rules i'm like go speak to boris but please don't speak to my team members yeah. like that because that's oh. not okay mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely and it's it's mm. uh, it's startling to see how perfectly reasonable lovely nice people change when they walk into a bar or a restaurant isn't that as strange? soon as they are being being served and they have <clears throat> this understanding that they are the ones being served that their psychology completely changes um, and i've seen it time and time and time again in countries all over the world mm-hmm. and it's so it's not like a particular country's right um, it, it happens everywhere i've seen it in new zealand and kiwis are the nicest people in the world the friendliest people in the world and i've seen it in india and I've seen it in the UK and I've seen it in Russia and America. And it's, it's a human trait for some reason. Um, and you're exactly right. There is, we do have an opportunity now, the industry's closed to, to sit back, reflect and ask ourselves as an industry, like, how do we want to move forward when we reopen? Do we want to reopen just as the way we were, where everyone is poorly paid, extremely unhealthy, overworked, stressed, and earning so little, both on the front line and the owners, that there is no safety net. So when something like COVID comes along, as soon as everything goes into lockdown, everything falls apart because no one has a rainy day fund because everyone is living paycheck to paycheck. Um, Or do we want to collectively as an industry, build rebuild the industry with better paid staff healthier margins yes we're going to have to have more expensive offerings but mm-hmm. we can get less people in less people in the restaurant with more margin takes a little bit of stress off everyone everyone is a little bit better off perhaps the general public will cook at home more often which is better for their own personal health um, so there's lots of benefits but then i guess there's also the fear that with so many independent restaurants closing down that when things reopen um, there are going to be a lot of very cheap venues up for sale Mm. and the only people that will be able to um, liquidate enough cash are the big groups so they will be able to get a lot of money in very quickly and they can buy up lots and lots of very cheap venues Um, so that is also a concern but I really hope that the industry um, takes a long hard look at itself and it's time for reflection to really build back um, a healthier more resilient mm-hmm. industry for everybody because you're Thank right you. it's mm-hmm. it's such an important part of our general health mm-hmm. you know restaurants mm-hmm. and bars are where we come together you know, and we are a social species yeah. you know, the chief success of humanity and the reason that we have become the most prevalent species on the planet is not because we have opposable thumbs like lots of people will tell you or that we can like fight because of our social skills. Yeah. The fact that we come together, we work together as a group, not for individual gain, but for the benefit of, of, the, of the whole group and the community. And it's been proven time and time again. And, you know, the harshest punishment that we give to other, to other humans is solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Taking people away from interacting with other people is the harshest thing we can do. And yet we're doing it to people across the world right now. Yeah, yeah. And, so it's really vital that when we come out of COVID, because bars and restaurants are so important to our mental health as a, as a population, mm-hmm. um, that we really look after the hospitality industry. Yeah, Who are the, means looking after the, the team. Yeah. Who are the key players, um, Tim, that could, you know, in terms of, you know, who do you need to be engaging with to start this <clears throat> shift in culture? I think UK hospitality um, who have been thrust into the limelight um, during the during the pandemic. Um, I think they have a big role to play. 
I think education of the general public, I think is huge as well. Like, you know, when you go into a venue, particularly post COVID as we reopen, going in with compassion, an understanding of what they're having to go through. Um, so I think there's a lot of, of um, education of the general public that needs to happen. I am excited that that ministers are now discussing the, the possibility of a, a minister of hospitality. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the UK's largest industrial sectors. So in pre-COVID hospitality employed 3.4 million people in the UK. Mm. Um, and globally it's around 10 percent of the work global workforce i think um mm. i can't remember it's something like two billion or something like the the contribution of hospitality to the economy is huge it's massive, yeah, it's massive. Abs- absolutely yeah, massive almost. um so yeah, yeah. it's, it's in there i saw a stat somewhere that say that 80 percent of workers in the uk have worked in hospitality yeah and, and so many you, people growing up, you know, your yes, first yeah. job is generally in hospitality. Absolutely, and, what's me? Yeah, yeah I, we, I think all of us here have. Yeah. And, yeah. and what I find, here's the thing that I also find very interesting about hospitality, particularly front of house team, you have to have a level of emotional intelligence to do that job. And I have a theory of why people, general public come in and kick off, right? I have a theory behind this. Let's hear it, come on. So I think it's because what happens is people can have a bad day and they carry that bad day. Mm-hmm. And then what happens in a restaurant could be the tipping thing that tips them over the edge. And because they don't know that person, they just, so what happens is we get the brunts of their bad days. And also, I mean, I've worked at bars and it's amazing when you, you serve at a bar and you get the regulars and they come in and they tell you their entire life story purely because you listen. And I think you have to have emotional intelligence to to be successful as a, you know, all the good waitresses, all the good bartenders, all the good waiters, they all are emotionally intelligent, have very good communication skills. And for me, that is, they are the skills of the 21st century. And I think that is something that we need to value more. When people come into, you know, they're like, well, what else could I do? And I'm like, there's so much you can do because you've got amazing people skills and the ability to think on your feet because that's what you're constantly doing working in hospitality, to communicate with anybody from any walk of life. And these skills are like really important skills for the time that we're living in. And I, you know, there was that story, um, a friend of ours said that somebody knew owned a recruitment company. And he said that if he knew somebody had worked in hospitality, he would employ them straight away because he knew they'd be hardworking. He knew they'd be really good at with communicating with people, which was exactly what he wanted. And I think that is a shift that we need to see that actually you get some great skills from working in hospitality really do. And I started working in hospitality at like 16. That was my first job was waitressing. And I think that's where I started to get my love for people because you just sit and listen to people's stories. You also have to deal with some, you know, I remember being sort of 17, 18 in the World Cup and all we'd lost, (laughs) we'd lost, England had lost. It's like, oh, hell was breaking loose. And you, you have to manage those situations and it's kind of a bit of a baptism of fire. But I think, yeah. we should really value the skills that the young people learn it while yeah. in hospitality and also the confidence it gives to people you know when Absolutely. i've seen people completely come out of themselves and grow in confidence <laughs> when they've had the right manager there to sort yeah. of mentor yeah. them that's and I think, a fundamental thing like it you know if we've all worked if everyone's had a stint of working in hospitality what does that tell you it's a great starting point for people to build their confidence yeah. to gain some skills and um and actually you know you can build a great career there are i know our company for example we do value our teams and we don't let them work more than 48 hours um in a week they don't do more than 10 hour shifts um not always perfect but that's what we aim for and i think you know you can build a career from it people move into operations and head office and i think we need to start seeing that more maybe then people value it i think the the best example of of what you just spoke about and those skills that hospitality teaches you um, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, yes. The oh, US yes. Congresswoman. What an amazing um, story. Yes, fantastic. You know, to go from literally her job progression is waitress, bartender, congresswoman, maybe senator next, maybe president. She's a president um, one day, surely. She's amazing. And, you know, and she credits her time working in hospitality that as the teacher that keep makes her be in touch with people and learn how to talk to people and understand people. Mm. Um, and I remember 
during one of the races. The Republicans hate her because she's so popular. (laughs) Um, So they ran a campaign based on like Donald Trump's MAGA thing, and it was like, make Alexandria bartend again. Instead of MAGA, it was MAGA. Oh, yes, I remember seeing that. And she was just like, sure, I'll go do that. It's the best possible way that you can connect and talk with people. So she went and did some guest bartending and shifted New York, and it was insanely popular. And she just got out there and talked to normal people, and that's why she is absolutely crushing it in the US. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly helps to have these role models, doesn't it? Who can really champion these, um, you know, the. the, the the, the, the benefit done well when it goes well you know yeah. what, what what great could look like you know it's really useful i think to have these um role models to kind of you know to kind of orientate the industry to perhaps yeah absolutely absolutely there's a lot of great people that worked in hospitality and i would like to see more hospitality workers get into politics i think particularly mm. in the uk we need more young exciting politicians what we don't have here if you look at the us you've got a lot of young, extremely diverse, amazing politicians that are going to drive incredible change in that country. And yet here, so many of our politicians come from the same background. Mm. We don't have yes. these young, exciting, yes. vibrant politicians to really challenge the, the Boris Johnsons of the world. With uh, That's right, young people with highly advanced people skills. Yeah, it's, instead it's of just highly advanced bank mm. balances. Mm. Well, it's interesting because um, sort of AOC, Alexandra, and there's a few others, they all came off the back of, of Trump, didn't they? Yeah, there was a whole yeah. movement after Trump got into power. The squad, uh, like Ilhan Yeah, there's a whole... Amazing. And that was what was so amazing in some ways, you know, every cloud has silver lining. So they had Trump, but then this people sort of stood up and said, no, actually, we're not standing for this. Actually, it's our job. We need to be the change. Yeah. And so that's where you've got this whole group of diverse quite a lot more diverse women that went went yep. into politics wasn't it um and that's and now they are the next generation that are all gonna drive the changes and like joe biden's got the most i think one of the most diverse offices the most diverse. he's got yeah. the first transgender cabinet member the first native the first, american first native american first muslim congresswoman first openly gay senator it's just incredible what's going on in the us and it's mm-hmm. easy to look at all the bad stuff that trump does and the the ridiculous attention seeking that the Republicans have. But if you look at, even like in Biden's first week, mm-hmm. the progressive um, executive orders he signs is extremely exciting. And we don't have that here, which is um, frustrating. Yeah. I would like to see a lot of young politicians get into the, into the game. Young working class politicians is what we need that are really connected to the people. Mm. So, Tim, where can people find you? So, for people working in hospitality who want to know more about you, where where should we be steering them towards? Uh, I, there's a shed at the bottom of my garden. <laughs> <laughs> we just send them round. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, so, healthyhospo.com is the website. Mm. Um, so, just Google Healthy Hospo. We're all over social. Um, we have a brand new website, which launched last year. Um, we also have a digital app. So all of, we put all of our training onto onto an app that people can download, um, and it's a, a subscription. So it's two pounds a month, so less than the price of a cup of coffee, and mm-hmm. you get access to all of the healthy hospital training. Very good. Wow. Yeah. Which is great, especially during during this during this time. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, really important conversation there about about mental health I think in hospitality and I think it's not just hospitality there are other industries that have their Absolutely. own struggles like I think construction is one that is has construction has mm. a massive struggle and a very high suicide rate um, but there is a lot of amazing stuff going on in in the world of construction oh, really? because what you have it's being led there by some very large construction groups um, who have a little bit of capital to be able to put put aside towards industry-wide health and wellness programs and also as an industry they, have, they do have a, uh, some unionization and mm-hmm. as an industry they are talking about this quite seriously that's amazing to hear amazing yeah to hear. so we've we've looked at the construction industry and seen some of the great stuff that they do mm-hmm. hospitality doesn't really have that yet 
and mm. I'm hoping this Minister for Hospitality, if it comes about, um, will help um, provide a greater voice for everyone that works in hospitality. At the moment, it's quite um, divided. Mm-hmm. I think UK hospitality have done a good job through the lockdown, yeah. the COVID yeah. pandemic, but you know, there's no unionization of workers at the front line, mm-hmm. um, which is a problem, I think. You yeah, know, there's yeah. no, no one representing the voice of the waiters and the bartenders and the, the kitchen porters, because mm. they need to be represented. It's not just the restaurant owners. Yes, no, definitely, definitely. And I think often, like you said, they are younger and maybe don't quite know how to, yeah. to be heard or to use, use their voice in that way. Um, but hopefully, you know, as like I said, every cloud from from a COVID, hopefully there'll be positive changes from this. Yeah. And namely just looking after people's well-being, well-being more. Um, I think it's really important. Um, so we talked a lot about well-being um, and hospitality and how we can do things better. Um, and why is it important? I just wanted to touch on a little bit just before we go about Avalon because it's sustainable Um, and you know this is another thing that I think is becoming increasingly important in the world of work that we work in there's no denying we're going through climate change Um, you know I think it's 60 we've lost 60 percent of um, wildlife in the last 40 years so what inspired you to set up Avalon um, and why make it a sustainable company? So as I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've been a long advocate for environmental protection. You know, growing up in Cornwall and this beautiful um, countryside with gorgeous beaches and everything. Um, you know, I've always been extremely closely connected to the environment and to nature. So after leaving Diageo and working on some of the biggest brands in the world for, for six years um, and learning all about you know, how Diageo build brands when I left I went I went off to do healthy hospital but at the back of my mind there was always like you know I'm interested in building a brand as well mm-hmm. um, and when during my time at Diageo I met this incredible woman called Stephanie Jordan who we were on this eventually found ourselves on the same team and she was a global ambassador for Tanqueray so and we both left around the same time so we kept kind of in touch and she went off and did her own thing but we both good friends so we kept talking we both were like you know it'd be really fun to do a brand but we've got to do do it in the right way we'd seen a lot of friends create i want to call them vanity projects but they create they've created brands because they like that category so it's like i really like tequila so i'm gonna make a tequila brand you know okay but that's the thing for you and what me and Steph were doing wanted to do was like we we have no idea what we wanted to make we knew we wanted to make a brand but we wanted to make a brand that had real purpose and actually meant something um and also was true to ourselves because what I'd learned what we'd both learned from leaving Jedra is that we weren't being true to who we were as people mm. just got caught up in this kind of corporate job um so for me my environmental passion came to the fore and Steph um, is a mix so she was born in the UK to a Colombian father and an English mother but grew up in rural France in Burgundy so her dad makes wine and her mum used to work for for a wine company so she grew up on a vineyard in this beautiful um, rural region of France so to her terroir the French countryside and nature is like runs through her veins so super important so we sat when we sat down to talk about brands it was like why don't we bring these two parts of our us together to try and create a brand yeah and then it was a very simple step to kind of looking and taking that and then adding in a problem so what is the problem we're trying to solve with Avalon um Runaway climate change and environmental destruction. Yeah. But lofty, you know, Not kind really. of a lovely, a, a little big, big goal to go for. Yeah. Uh, but being part of the solution to that and yeah. using the skill sets that we have to be able to have a positive impact on that, you know, 
we could say, right, we're going to go and start an electric car company, but it would be extremely difficult because none of us have started an electric car company. Um, and neither of us are brilliant, as brilliant as Elon Musk. So <laughs> taking the skill sets that we have and the experience that we have and using that to be able to um, mm. start the company. So we set out to create the world's most sustainable spirits brand. Amazing. Amazing. Mm. And because that was the goal, right from the start we wrote it down on a piece of paper we and we had no pretense around what type of spirit we were going to make so we could start with a blank sheet of paper mm. and we went right back to the very beginning of production and said if we're going to be true to the sustainability we need to do two things one start right at the beginning of production and be at every single business decision ask the question is this the most sustainable the decision we can take within our budget so we started with right at the beginning which begins in the raw material alcohol is both um, an agricultural and an industrial product but a lot of people only look at sustainability in the industrial side so we went right back to the very beginning of the agricultural side and said what's the best raw material to make alcohol from not from a flavor point of view or a cost point of view but from an environmental point of view Mm. so we looked at a lot of the the kind of the, the most commonly used raw materials so the grains like wheat barley corn um, agave so tequila mezcal and sugarcane for the rums and cachaças and then grapes all the brandies and also apples and then we assessed them across four metrics of carbon dioxide emissions water use biodiversity loss and pesticide and fertilizer use and then scored each each one out of 20. So the maximum any raw material could get was 20, uh, 20 points. Um, Sugarcane got four, and apples got 18. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. 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 So it was a really easy choice for us. So once we knew, right, we're going to have to use apples. Um, you know, for, from a carbon point of view, they grow on trees. Those trees sequester carbon in their trunks, in the soil, in their, in their leaves. Um, from a biodiversity point of view, um, the apples grown in, in Europe that are used to make alcohol, grown in small orchards that are extremely biodiverse for a farming system. So there's no monocropping, yeah. stuff like that. Pesticide and fertilizer use is extremely low. Um, and the region where we grow our apples has been pesticide free since 2016. Amazing. And then from a water use point of view, um, there's no artificial irrigation, so it all relies on natural rainfall. And then also in the processing of the apples, all you do is wash them and then you juice them and like you don't need to add any water during the, the production process. Um, so that was the choice of apples. And then we both knew instantaneously that once we said apples, it had to be a Calvados because that's the most well-known and respected and and rigorously controlled um, <laughs> apple brandy in the world, which is also yeah. important. If we weren't a Calvados, we wouldn't be held to such stringent rules around production, which means that you know we're not allowed to irrigate the orchards. We're not allowed to cut the grass in between the trees during the growing season. Um, all these other like little rules, which seem annoying at the start, but then you realize mm. they're actually there to protect these traditional systems mm. and actually make it much more sustainable. Because if you take apples from China, for example, they're grown in enormous orchards, almost in a monocrop. So single species in a giant orchard, lots of artificial irrigation, using honeybees. Um, whereas the orchards in Normandy are 10 different varieties of apples in a single orchard. Um, hedgerows around the outside. Sometimes you have pear trees in there as well. Um, grass in between the trees, no artificial irrigation. Um, relying on natural fertilizers so much 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 more kind of environmentally friendly uh, growing growing model yeah i love i love the fact that it sounds like every bit of your process it's like how do we make this sustainable like it really is embedded into your strategy and i think you know companies wanting to become more sustainable that's that it's just as simple as that isn't it how can yeah. we make how can we do this in the most sustainable way um, and it sounds like, you know, it sounds like an awful lot of work sort of stripping back and looking at each thing, but actually it's, it's kind of sounds like it's, it's worth it and what a worthwhile yeah. 
business to be involved in. But I, I've just had a quick look. I tell you what's really interesting is that this, you've got a very, I, I would say, so it sounds like single-minded and resolute approach to sustainability, you know, this end-to-end -end is the central, is core at your philosophy, is that everything is sustainable as it can be. And that seems to be, when I um, Google sustainable um, apple brandy, up you come, and I can see yeah. that that's sort of what you're known for and what you're famous for. Yeah, yeah. It's, that, it's, it's the, the most sustainable um, health loss that you could possibly make, which is quite a thing, isn't it? That's quite a thing to be recognized for. Yeah, that, that's the goal that we set out to, to do. You know? mm. We are... I mean, let's be true here that like, we are not avoiding climate change. We're living through climate change right mm. now. You know? And so the question then becomes, or the decision becomes, how bad do we want to let it get? Mm. You know, for future generations, Alex, you said you've got, you've got two, two mm. young children. You know, yeah. if we don't take serious action immediately, the world that they're going to inhabit as adults is going to be an extremely difficult one globally. So yeah I, I agree i agree yeah. i completely agree and and i tell you, when I'm, what i do think about that is you know it's just something the reason i've been talking about in terms of the future of learning and development actually training and development is uh actually um asking these difficult questions of the businesses that we work with um how is sustainability a component of your mm -hmm. strategy you know mm -hmm. how are you you know how are you giving value back yeah. rather than just extracting it you know? yeah that's what, that's what it's got to be about i think that's yeah. how we've got in this position is we've just taken and taken from the earth that's right Absolutely. and yeah. you can't keep doing that we've got to start giving back and i think I've, my question for you actually tim is considering your model and how you've worked if you could give one message or one tip to a company that wanted to become more sustainable what would it be um I think, oh, good question. It's a good question. I think it's a, it's a complicated one. I don't think there's one thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it, a big part of it is company culture, you know, and in, engaging every single person in your company yeah. on this journey. Um, and also, I think the other realization is that being sustainable is not expensive. It's expensive not to do it. Mm -hmm. Because there are a few business, there are a few decisions you can make in your business that are actively PRable, marketable. But at the moment, making sustainable decisions for your business is a PRable exercise. You can get good marketing and PR out of it at the moment. There will come a time soon when you won't be able to do that because it will just be expected. Yes. And you will get shamed if, you, if you're not doing it. So what I would say is that if you're not doing sustainable stuff right now, you are missing out on a golden opportunity for PR and marketing for your business, um, which won't, it, and that's a closing window. Yeah. Um, and I think realizing that it's not difficult, it's not rocket science, and every decision in your business, you can choose to be more sustainable, whether it's the business cards that you're printing, like what kind of paper are you printing, like who do you bank with? You know, why are you banking with with a uh, Barclays, for example, when you could be banking with Triad Triados, the world's most sustainable? Exactly the same services, except your money is now being used to support small and medium sustainable mm -hmm. and ethical businesses. You know, what kind of car do you hire? What kind of paper do you buy for your printer? You know, there is every decision you have a choice. Mm. It's just that that choice, choosing the, the more sustainable option. Yeah, it's a great point then. And like I said, it's like, that's the thing, isn't it? It's making it part of your strategy so that every question you make is how, yeah. how can we make this more sustainable? Yeah. I think it's a really interesting point because me and Alex have talked about this, that at the moment, I think going forward and recovering from this, the companies that do well are going to be the ones that are focusing on sustainability. Huh. And at some point it will become compulsory. So you Absolutely. might as well start doing it now because in time it won't be an option yeah, absolutely. There was a Nielsen report that came out and said 81% of people they surveyed, this was 2018, 81% mm -hmm. of people either agreed or strongly agreed that companies should have a positive impact on the planet. Wow. And there's 85% of millennials. 
Yeah, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. you know, yeah. we our, our 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 teams working hospitality, they're all generally under about thirty-two, yeah. and I find it it's really quite beautiful just how passionate they are about causes and that purpose. It's really important to them, um, you know, as it should be. It's their future. Um, so I 100% I, I see that um, where, where, where I work um, I think that's yeah I think it's um, really important and also just quickly I'm just going to begin to call this one then because we've talked talk to you forever but we <laughs> I, I, I like to talk like, <laughs> yeah. and um, I enjoy long podcasts yeah so. mm. um, but you you do work so part of what you do is about helping bees tell us yes. how you help the bees yes um, bees. bees are super important to us at Avalon so we always built into our business model a charitable element, yeah. um, which is really important to us. And when we looked around, that charitable element had to um, have some sort of sustainable um, ethos behind it. And if we look at the plight of the bee, the bee is the single most important species to humankind. Mm. You know, without the bee's life on earth for humans, for all, all animals have become extremely difficult. And when we have conversations around the bees, there's a big problem that, that we think about bees almost as a monocrop, but honeybees get 99.9% of the attention. That's you know, when you talk about bees. And yet honeybees are not in trouble. Honeybees are a commercial tool. It's also an animal. They, are, they will be protected because they are so valuable to mm -hmm. the global agricultural business. They thrive in massive numbers. There's a lot of organizations looking after them. But there are also around 20,000 other species of bee wow. that don't get any attention, that don't get any love, whose numbers are declining at such a rapid rate that we are losing tens to hundreds of them every year. Um, you know, bumblebees, leafcutter bees, mason bees, um, scissor bees, all the other types of solitary bees, minor bees. Um, and these are, these are the bees that we see often on a day. Like the bumblebee is probably, yeah, everyone knows a bumblebee, right? Yeah. It's the big fluffy furry. Can't miss it. If a bumblebee crosses yeah. the path, you can't miss it. And I'll be like, mm -hmm. oh no, don't come near me. Don't want to be stung. <laughs> and yet bumblebees are the only ones that can pollinate tomato plants. Like oh. honeybees can't pollinate tomatoes. Wow. Um, so it's really important for us to help those bees because without those bees, we would lose A, all of our apples we couldn't make um, avalanche uh, and be a lot of the food that we eat um, so it's really really important yeah. to us but what we we're actually changing our charitable um, work so we've just become a member of one percent for the planet okay which That's is fun. the organization started by um patagonia's founder oh uh, okay yeah so mem member companies commit to donating at least one percent of their their revenue to charitable causes amazing um and what we are planning to do is now split our charitable donations in two directions so one will be the bees but we've i've just finished um reading uh hope and hell by jonathan porritt um, jonathan porritt is one of the world's leading environmental campaigners mm -hmm. um, and as someone who's been a personal hero for, for me for a long time and part of the book he's going through you know, if we're going to tackle climate change properly, what are the single biggest factors in tackling uh, runaway climate change? And whilst we think about the, the big ones like switching to renewable energy and decarbonizing our transportation and, and all this kind of stuff, the single biggest thing that we can do to help uh, reverse climate change is the education and empowerment of women. Mm, yep, mm. yep. Bring people yes. Out of yes. Yeah. Yes. Particularly in, in low income countries. So if that is the single biggest impact and that's bigger than decarbonizing our energy systems and transportation systems and, and giving up eating meat. You know, and if we're going to be true to being the super sustainable brand, that's something that we have to to go after. You know, we have to try and support and and engage and encourage the, the education and development of women in, in the in poorer, lower-income countries. Amazing, amazing. So that's going to be our two kind of charitable pieces moving amazing. forward. Amazing. Tim, that's just, mm. you, you just give us hope. I, I think um, 
I've got one final question because we ask all our guests this and then all we'll right. summarize it. So what leader has inspired you and why? And I imagine it's probably maybe someone you've already mentioned, but <laughs> what, <you know? laughs> Oh no, John, you just mentioned Oh yeah, John John from Porrit has, has been a, a true a true leader. Um I don't know, there's so many at the moment. I think at the moment there's two people that really inspire me. Um yeah. one is Elon Musk. Yeah. Because he has such a vision of, you know, and everything he does. Yes, he might have, have become the richest man in the world, but he doesn't care for that. Like his entire life is dedicated towards the betterment of humankind. Mm-hmm. Whether that's decar, you know, transitioning the world to low carbon transportation through Tesla, or to making humanity a multi-planetary species everything that he does is about improving life on earth or taking us to Mars, for example. But it's all fair. Whereas you look at other ultra billionaires, it's just an ego play of how much money can they earn. Um, and I don't think that probably since Thomas Edison or if ever we've seen a single, single human have such, or a single businessman have such an impact on the world. Mm. Um, and it's a very exciting time to watch, watch his companies and see how rapidly they evolve. Um, so it's him and then the other one is a little 18 year old girl from Sweden who's just filled with so much fire and passion so Greta Thunberg Um, you know every time you hear her speak she speaks with such clarity and such honesty and no bullshit that it brings me to tears and it just makes me want to work so much harder yeah you know if if, and there's no one out no one else is speaking with the clarity that she speaks with of this emergency Mm, and we need more people like Greta to speak like this so so a lot of what we do for Avalon is for Greta and for the children of her generation yeah amazing a lot of lovely end to um podcast him thank you very much and it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, we've talked about well-being, about culture, um, and you know, and ultimately it always comes back to, and it's what I think a theme that me and Alex always come back to. If you want your business to do well, you have to look after your teams. They are your biggest asset. But I think also I think you've really highlighted there about sustainability, which is something we've not um had really anyone with sort of that level of sustainable business. And I think it's again, it's quite simple. It's just thinking yeah. every step away, how how can everything we do be more sustainable? And I think um, that sustainability and health and wellness go hand in hand because yes, yes. nature is such an important element of our of our health both yeah. personally and as a species you know and if we don't protect the natural environment then it is going to have a huge impact on our health as a population yeah we're all connected you know human yeah, beings we, we 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 are you know we are the earth the earth is us so exceptional Absolutely. point Tim. Um, so thank you so much. Like I loved it. It's been, it's been a such a rich conversation. I hope everybody um, has enjoys listening to this. I'll put all the links to Tim's um, Tim's many ventures in the <laughs> podcast page. Um, and as ever, we love to hear your feedback, your thoughts. Um, Tim, where can people find you on the old Instagram? Uh, Healthy Hospo, Avalen Spirits. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm Ginger Bitters. Yeah, I don't right. really use social media much anymore. I'm like, you dip in and out, don't you? Even it bores me now. I'm just <laughs> bored of social media. Like, yeah, Instagram in particular. I have no interest in uploading photos of myself to the internet or things that go on in my life. Like, I share. Sometimes I share things with friends, but I don't need to tell the entire world yeah. what um, I'm doing. Uh, but if any of our listeners want to connect with you, because they can yes. do so there. <laughs> but just watch out it might take ages to reply because you yeah. go on there very often um yeah. alex anything you want to add before we say no it's been great great to chat um tim i i think i tell you one one thing about the sustain one thing that's kind of resonating me with the sustainability question is the uh just what you're saying i think about individual choices because i i think i well maybe i fall into this myself but i know a lot of people kind of get almost get overwhelmed by the size of the problem and the complexity of the problem but actually you know if you begin by just thinking about your um where your paper comes from and you know the little choices the the little uh, decisions that we make every day is a good start isn't it exactly uh as they say the entire ocean is made up of 
little droplets mm. of water. So yes, mm. every decision we make, like so every time you have a drink, yeah, yeah. <laughs> drink an instead of a gin. Pick, a, um, pick Avalon, yes. It's one of your five a day, isn't it, Tim? Yeah. Um, if I, if only we were allowed to say that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Only yeah. now. But yeah, no, you're exactly right. And it's there are lots and lots of decisions. I think the other point is also to rather to beat yourself up for not being sustainable, is to celebrate the little things that you do. Yeah, great point there. Too. There are so many like little things you can do. Like everybody listening today, go and look at their energy supplier and see if they're getting where they're getting their energy supply. And if it's not coming from a hundred percent renewable tariff, that's a five minute switch. Yeah. Yes. So yes. if you do like every day, once a week, if you just did a little something like, right, I'm going to switch mm. my electricity this week. And then next week, I'm going to make sure that I do some more recycling. And then the week after, you know, so every, mm. every decision you can make better, mm. better choices. Yeah. Brilliant. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much indeed. Awesome. We didn't even talk about running. I know. How we didn't even talk about running. I'll have to do another podcast yeah, next, time. Running. Right, next yeah. time. Running. So yeah, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we love to hear your feedback, and uh, yeah, we'll be back soon with another one. So thank you very much. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.